We'd love to hear your comments, your thoughts and your weird stories. Just contact us at weirdnorfolk at archant.co.uk. I like to describe Weird Norfolk as a cabinet of curiosities containing forgotten folklore, paranormal experiences, odd places to visit, and just a, a real collection of interesting local history. I'm Shifra Connor and I'm the curator and researcher for Weird Norfolk. Fact, folklore, legend that relate to a whole manner of different things in the county, whether that be an artefact at Norwich Castle, whether that be an erratic stone left by a glacier. So I'm Stacia Briggs and I'm the writer for Weird Norfolk. This week, we're talking about the Mousehold Street Poltergeist. This is one of those stories that surprised me um, because there's nothing at all about it online. Um, but at the time, it was actually very well documented in the EDP and Evening News. Um, the story in a nutshell... In 1958, a family living at 93 Mousehold Street in Norwich contacted Norwich City Council to ask to be relocated as their house was being haunted by a poltergeist. Panes of glass were broken and stones which and the stones which broke them were hot to the touch. Stones and bricks were thrown across rooms. All of these were preceded by clicks. A tin of shoe polish came through the ceiling. Clocks and watches were found in unusual places. Um, a clock was even found at the foot of the stairs and doors banged at night. The mother of the house heard a baby crying and felt as if she was being strangled. And that is like the very bare minimum of the story because there's so much to it. It's, it's fascinating, really, really interesting. I think it's probably best to point out that all that noise that's going on in the background, yeah. it's nothing to do with poltergeists. No, we're... That we know of. <laughs> as far as we know, these are not poltergeist noises in the background. We're actually um, out at the Little Theatre at Sheringham today. Um, just as a little bit of a change. So that'd be nice to do some recording out and about. This, this poltergeist at Mousetail Street, it interests me for lots of reasons. One, the story itself is fairly horrifying isn't it and secondly because this is we have so many similar stories in an area that is really dense for poltergeist activity this area so silver street barrack street magdalen street it's all happening around there Schaefer, isn't it yeah the undead are back in uh, the silver triangle (laughs) it's it's also poltergeists I, i think are fascinating and really terrifying like this whole story and i i felt like the 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 reports in the paper were almost like a little bit light-hearted about it, but obviously the family were terrified. Like, it had been going on for about two weeks and it had started quite subtly with just, you know, some, like, little bits of banging and stuff and then the stones started coming and um, for them to actually contact the council and ask to be moved, they were obviously really, really terrified. Um, there's, it was a family of four, so there's a mother and a father... Um, and two children. The son was in his early teens, and the daughter was nine. So early teen alert. Early teen alert. 
Yes. I feel like it should be like a klaxon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I mean, it's, it's fairly common knowledge that poltergeists are attracted to um, or drawn to teenage teenagers. About the only ones that are, aren't yeah. they? Really? Someone's got to like them. I mean, it's usually female. Yeah. So the fact that it was, I'm assuming it was a boy, unless the girl, I mean, the girl was a bit young though, nine. I don't know mm. whether she would have been having all the emotional turmoil. The maelstrom. Yes. To be going through that. But they were so, I mean, they, they called in the local priest who visited three times and actually witnessed Phenomena himself. Um, he then offered them to stay in the parish hall, which is the um, the silver rooms. So they actually like packed up all their stuff and spent a couple of nights at the silver rooms because they just couldn't bear to stay to stay in there. They were so scared. Um, mm. It's really. Yeah. yeah, and, and they, they, I think the, the line in that piece that, that freaked me out the most was she and her husband reported seeing branch-like shadows inside their home. Mm. It's not nice, is it? No. I mean, there's obviously the, the idea that it could have been a hoax. Because they did want to move. (laughs) Normally, and I suppose that if you're trying... Because you often see those requests from people who've got council houses that they want to swap with someone else, you know, and they kind of say about the garden and that it's close to the city and, you know, large house, number of bedrooms, poltergeist attached. It's probably not going to get you the move of your dreams, is it? It's probably not going to be what other people want to hear about. You know, you might be interested in the garden, but you're not going to be interested in the uh, dark entity that smashes the windows to a set pattern. I bet there are some people that would be, though, if you could find the right person. I, I really don't think that you would find I the right would, No, I wouldn't. Would you? Not, not the poltergeist, no. No. Well, even if you were living a long way away and you wanted to be close to the city? Yeah, no, I wouldn't if there was a poltergeist. If it was no. just a regular ghost, then that would be fine. Which is a whole other matter, which is the difference between the two, um, because you don't want to mix up your ghosts with your poltergeists. Uh, you, you mentioned before, and the klaxon went off the teenager alert, mm. but with poltergeist, there is also the council house alert, because it is not uncommon for people to find any excuse at all to get out of their council <laughs> house and move somewhere else. And maybe the last resort is, hey, we've got yeah. a ghost or a poltergeist. Yeah. I mean, in the newspaper reports at the time, there was nothing that indicated that they weren't happy there, though. Before this yeah, happened. Yeah. No, I don't think there was, but I think, I mean, there, there were there were other people who witnessed this, including a, a man of the cloth. Mm. Um, although there is there is a lot of investigation about whether or not this is you start seeing what you want to see, you start finding answers whether you know to questions that aren't there, and it's kind of it's top down processing apparently, which is that something happens, you can't explain it, and then suddenly everything seems inexplicable, mm-hmm. and you kind of start seeing things that you would normally have just said, oh, you know, I mean, if I found a clock at the bottom of my stairs, I wouldn't immediately think that it was a poltergeist. I would no. probably think that it was my son who was drunk and uh, just <laughs> left it there. Um, you know, um, although I don't think they use teenagers use clocks these days, do they? I quite like the fact this is rooted in the 50s because you've got the shoe polish coming through. I mean, I don't yeah. think any normal houses have no, shoe polish so now. Just the, with it being in the 50s as well, I don't feel like they would have known enough about poltergeist activity to have been able to replicate it themselves. It was before poltergeist. It was before, I did double check and it is before the film poltergeist. 
Um, and, and the Exorcist. And it's before the Exorcist. Yeah. Although that's not even Poltergeist anyway. Maybe that's they're both based on households. Maybe. Too. But it's, it's, you know, now people can just Google old Poltergeist activity and what it's does really easy. What does Poltergeist mean, Schaefer? It means noisy spirits. She was in, really, in German, she was really surprised that I knew that. I was like, yeah. how did you not know that? Oh my god. Oh did my she god, need like, to even say that I didn't that? know that? I just gave her the opportunity to look clever. She just took the opportunity to make me look stupid. <laughs> so what is is there a definition between what what is the difference between a ghost and a poltergeist? When does a ghost become a poltergeist? Well, I have my theory, but you did did you do some research on this? But so you, I, you, my you theory is that so a go, a ghost is actually like the spirit of a like, like a human or an animal, but usually a human um, that's either um, got some unfinished business or it's like the stone tape effect, which we talk about all the time, you know. So, yeah, the spirit of a human. Whereas I think a poltergeist is some kind of demonic kind of thing that has evil intent. So a ghost doesn't necessarily have an evil intent. They might just be floating around. Whereas the poltergeist is there to, yeah, to, to do some bad to wreak yeah. some, some havoc. Um, I looked into this a little bit, um, and ghosts are kind of stuck to a kind of time and space, whereas a poltergeist, you know, for them, moving from 93 Mousel Street might have meant taking that entity with them somewhere else because it's more likely to be attached to someone rather than some place. Um, the biggest, the, well, the biggest difference, which is really quite, ugh, is that them poltergeists are never seen, so they're always, always invisible. So there's no kind of, you know, misty figure. There's no sheet with eyes. It is unseen completely. And ghosts, while seeing a ghost in itself might be frightening, poltergeists are kind of downright dangerous. So they will actually inflict kind of pain or problems on people whereas ghosts you're more likely just to see one yeah that's you? it i think it to be an experience rather than it to be something that causes you a huge amount of, of, of problems and I, I think with a ghost it's like that initial like when you first see it it might just make you jump but once you kind of i guess maybe get used to the idea that it's there it's fine but with a poltergeist it's always that like thing that it could hurt you yeah which makes it terrifying like really yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, quite often when we talk about ghosts and, and people seeing ghosts and reporting, it's, it's almost a bit of a leisurely experience. You know, you might be, I don't know, walking through Blickling Hall and suddenly a kind of a figure sweeps past you in a, in a, in a dress. Um, there's none of that with poltergeists. There's no kind of nice historical costumes or, or um, you know, a... a any it, mm. it's kind of you're asleep in your house and suddenly there's banging and there's objects moving and things smash and you know it's it's a far more it's a far more interactive mm. uh, process having mm. a poltergeist than seeing a ghost isn't yeah, it definitely. so is, is it usually then attached to a single person Usually. So remove that person and you remove the poltergeist well this is one of the things of how, I've actually um, got the um, Eight stages of poltergeist haunting. Which is always handy, isn't it, to know? Number one. I know. I tried to get it out of the library. I couldn't get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it's, it's actually from a... Um, had it. Yeah. It's from a book by um, Rupert Matthews in 2009 called Poltergeists and Other Hauntings. Um, and one of the stages that... Um, 
one of the endings things the last kind of stage is to actually remove the person who is it's attached to from wherever they're living just, just and that should in theory end or it something. Um, although I, I, in the Enfield haunting I don't think that worked because I think the poltergeist just went with the girl so it removed it from that house but yeah. it was still attached to the girl so it, it, what's only, number one stage so Johnny, I'll read through the of, stages yeah, so do. stage one is beginnings the activity funnily enough, funnily enough. <laughs> the place to start, well it? done Rupert <laughs> the activity usually begins with faintly registered sounds this is usually a scratching noise which may be disregarded as being made by rodents or to be or stator or, or the sounds of water pipes pipes these sounds are usually only heard at night uh, stage two is noises these sounds will then become harder to ignore. These noises resemble knuckles knocking on wood or other objects such as glass. Sometimes very loud cracking or unexplained banging noises are heard, but this is less likely. Objects can be sometimes felt to vibrate. At this stage, the activity may also be heard during daylight hours. So it's quite interesting it's not just restricted to night time. Oh, God. Um, stage three... Um, I actually didn't write objects stone throwing yeah so objects may be moved inexplicably stone throwing or lithobolia which is i had to google what lithobolia was and it's actually a stone throwing demon so it's actually a whole demon of its own objects may disappear and reappear this activity usually focuses around a certain type of object such as a specific ornament or keys so it's them down to the keys yeah so well, I lose my keys continually. Yeah, but I think it's interesting with the um, Mousehold Street poltergeist. I mean, they did have these, so they had, like... The sounds. The sounds. They had... The banging. The banging. Um, the cracking. They had, like, that clicking, cracking noise oh, before that's like, the stones that's like were being What's thrown. that film that's just come out that I went to see at the, cin- at the cinema and should know the name of? Hereditary. The child in Hereditary clicks. Kind of go... Oh. It's horrible. It, yeah, and um, lots of people laughed at that point, which I don't think they should have because no. I think it's supposed to be deadly serious. But yeah, that's clicking. So, so objects disappearing. Um, so, Mousehold Street also had um, the focus around a specific type of object, obviously the clocks and watches. So, any kind of timepieces were the focus yeah. of the movement, which is interesting. Um, stage four is apports and disapports. Um, which is when an object appear from nowhere or just completely vanish. It's a bit like, like in the skull experiment. Like in the skull experiment, yeah. yeah. Um, so the airport for that was like the the, the shoe polish, the shoe randomly, polish, which is, they said appeared through the ceiling, which is so it obviously dropped from very high up. Um, it's a bit of a personal kind of uh, gift, isn't it? Maybe they had dirty shoes. Maybe. Um, so stage five then is communication. In some cases, communication is established through a code of knocks. Sometimes speech is achieved. In almost all of these cases, there seems to be a gradual process which starts with whistles, slurps and growls. Oh, my my God, it's terrifying. It's awful. Isn't it? it? Could you imagine? Can you imagine slurping and growling at night? That is a cat normally or a dog, isn't it? Mm. It's just like growling. It makes makes it seem like demonic. Oh, don't do that. (laughs) She hates it when I do that. I can do full poltergeist voice. I'm not going to. It's making my eyes water. It makes my throat hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Then stage six is climax. 
The poltergeist activity will suddenly increase to a point it had never reached before. This may last several hours or several days. Stage 7 is decline. The decline is almost always shorter than the build-up. The poltergeist will I lose feel its... he's losing his way here yeah. now. The These poltergeist will lose now, its abilities they? in reverse and gradually become weaker. And then stage 8 is endings. The activity may slowly skip to an end. Sometimes the poltergeist activity will reach a dramatic conclusion. In many cases, exorcisms or blessings may prematurely kill the activity. Sometimes a focused person leaving the premises may cause the activity to cease. I kind of feel that Rupert got a bit bored towards the end there. Maybe a little bit. A little bit. But yeah, it's nice to have a beginning and an end and a middle. the, The mouse holds poltergeist has pretty much all of these apart from the like speaking although saying that the mother heard like a child crying yeah so they did have all of these um (laughs) kind of phenomena which i think is really interesting which and it makes it feel more valid for me um so if if there is no external uh input like exorcism or something like that these things will just They'll just come like, to an end anyway. Yeah, yeah I think they will, because it's, it's all yeah. related... The, the theory is that it's relating to, like, um, adolescence and, like, maturing. So once you've kind of got through that horrible stage of, you know... I hate myself. Yeah, I, I hate wish everything. I been, oh, yeah, I didn't um, ask to be born. Yeah. It's so unfair. Once you've gone through that stage, it should, in theory, like, it's just quite go. a long stage, though, isn't it? It's tiresome enough having to put yeah. up with them just smelling and asking for money and trainers and things. To also have a poltergeist seems harsh um, in the extreme. Uh, there's a kind of theory that, that these poltergeists are kind of inextricably linked to energies, so energy from, from teenagers, from something. And so it kind of makes sense that it's young people and adults because it is such a turbulent time, isn't it? Mm. It's such a difficult time. And if there's going to be a lot of kind of disrupted energy it will be when kids are kind of going from childhood to adulthood mm-hmm. but um, they are absolutely terrifying these things aren't they just when, when, really when you talk hideous. about the, the energy though I mean I, I was half expecting one of, you to, that one of you then to say ley lines or something like that because of right at the beginning you started to talk about the fact that there was this cluster so all these things were happening in the same sort of area unless you unless you do believe that there is an element of human human fakery here in which case it makes sense that all these things are in the same kind of area because it's kind of stories passed down or just it puts it in your mind it, i don't think that's the case but um, I mean, we've got Silver Street, where there was a very famous, recent, quite recent, yeah, that one, wasn't it, 2008, yeah, 2007? Like um, in Silver Street, there was a, a poltergeist activity was recorded. Um, the Magdalene Street ghost, which I would say possibly might fall yeah. into that, because it wasn't benevolent, was it, particularly? It was... You know, it was abroad at night and it was there during the day. I don't know, I don't don't think that that one, I think that one is more of a spirit actually. Because she didn't do anything to hurt anyone. It wasn't like, yeah. It was more felt like the attempt just to draw attention. So so the Silver Road was in between 2007 and 2008. um, And Lisa Hamilton um, said strange things have been happening in the house for a while thought it was all in my head lights would turn off and on covers would be pulled off the bed there were cold patches i'd wake up in the middle of the night and see a dark form near my cupboard Ooh. the shape would get bigger and bigger and i felt like it wanted to trap me in the room 
so she went to her nearest um, practitioner of uh, of um, paranormal goods and uh, she was told to burn sage, sprinkle salt and hang a crystal on the door of the cupboard, which quietened things down, apparently. So there's a bit of handy advice. Um, but a year later, they had some new flooring laid, the cupboard door had to be removed, and things started to get weird again. Horrendous banging, cats started acting up, that's a quote. Um, and, yeah, and, and oh, the worst part was when my mobile rang and said it was my house phone calling, but the phone had been unplugged due to redecorating. This is actually another point which I meant to say, which is that... Um, paranormal investigators are convinced that that it's poltergeists above any other supernatural creature being that keep up with the times. So there have been recent oh, okay. cases where they have sent instant messages via Facebook or text, and this one has called from the house phone. Um, so we've got the um, shoe polish in the 50s, and uh, in, in the 2000s you've got texting and Facebook, which is nice that they keep up, isn't it? nice that they're relevant to the young people. I suppose they have to be, don't they? Because yeah, I can't yeah. get hold of my kids unless I go through Facebook Messenger. So um, I imagine <laughs> the poltergeist having the same issue. They're banging and they're on Xbox. They wouldn't. Cole won't hear if I scream at him from downstairs <laughs> that tea's ready. So the poltergeist has got no chance reaching him whatsoever unless he either stops his 4G coverage or he um, switches the electric off so that his Xbox doesn't work. That would do it. Yeah. You know, these podcasts need to keep up with the times, don't they? Um, this, this Lisa um, called in paranormal experts who sensed an angry male who they thought had been in a gang that had killed people, a young boy from the 1800s, a woman who drowned in the house, and a demon in the attic. So that's quite a lot going on yeah. um, in Silver Street. You'd think one would have been enough, wouldn't you? But it was all, all of the above. Only a um, Native American burial ground missing, <laughs> really, there. Um, she also had screaming in the night. Um, a little boy wanting to play with somebody and revealing he had been rocking the baby's crib at night to wake him up. She moved out. And uh, the house was relet and nothing happened. She refuses to even go onto Silver Road. You would, wouldn't you, really? I think. I mean, ghosts in themselves are are frightening thoughts, but ghosts of children who, for some reason, are, are trapped or don't realise they're dead, that really does creep me out. Mm, I think that's really, it's really sad, and, um, yeah. Just, but I think often, um, this is obviously just my theories, and hours and hours of watching Ghost Adventures <laughs> with Zach Bagans. <laughs> I love Zach Bagans. <laughs> But I think a lot of the time um, demons take the form and, and this kind of thing take the form of children because obviously it's lulling people into a false sense of security. So with that demon in the attic in that place, they might have actually taken the form of a child to kind of... So people go, oh, it's a child, you know, oh, how sweet. It's that, you know, the doll... Um, that is it. Annabelle, the haunted yes, doll, yes. that happened with that case. So they had this doll and there was a spirit attached to it. And it was a child, so they were like, talk to it and play with it and stuff. And then things started getting really awful because they'd obviously let this kind of dark entity into their life through the form of a child. So This is why adults shouldn't have dolls. I've got a doll. Has it let a dark you know, entity into your life? Oh, no, but as in, you don't. No, no. she's all right. She yeah. freaks Pete out because he, he always thinks that she's staring at him. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's really good because this doll, you can pull a little thing in the back and her eyes move around. So she you doesn't can... talk back to you, though, no, does she? she doesn't. Yet. I don't talk to her. No, exactly. That's what I mean. Don't talk to dolls and expect them to answer unless you want to invite a dark entity into your house. <laughs> That's my advice for today. We just actually, on the way here, we had a call from one of my friends, didn't we, mm. who... Um, I spoke to her a couple of months ago, or she she told me this story, which was that her... I've got to be really careful and not identify the her or her dad, who um, is uh, still working. He is an investigator, not of a paranormal variety, but somebody who is called in if there are problems in a house. He was called in by a family on Barrack Street um, uh, in the 1980s when there had been reports of banging and noises at night in a flat. Um, a grandmother and her son, grandson, lived there, yeah, and she grandson. said the grandson was kind of about 14, yeah, 15. Um, and there'd been these noises that had kept them awake. And he went in to investigate what was going on and heard the noises. And uh, they followed this boy around, mm. didn't they? Yeah, so whichever Who, room he was in, yeah. the noises were there. And he recorded what happened for part of the investigation. Um, and, and he is a complete non-believer, total non-believer. He recorded it and uh, brilliantly played it back to my friend and her sister when they were in their teens. Um, and she said she literally had to sleep yeah. the light on for, so for months afterwards. And, hearing and it was banging, yeah. scraping... And at one and screaming of the boy, and he, he was, was terrified. At one, yeah, at one point he? he screams, "It's under my bed," on this, yeah, on this recording. And she said, um, "I mean, that they would." She said it, she was so worried about thinking about it so much that it might attach attack. to her. So she was constantly trying not to think about it. In but then case. obviously you, that makes you think about it even more, doesn't it? So. She said they begged her dad to let them listen to this, this recording and he said no and they begged and begged and finally I think he thought, right, OK. And the, so they listened to it. it. <laughs> and it was just a series of banging and screaming and, and he was there when this happened and apparently as soon as he went into the room it stopped. Now, obviously you can say that that could be faked it, you know, they they were moved out of the house, but he said other. You could hear it from outside. He said it was not. And this 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 child, um, there was no reason for them. They loved living where they lived. It happened when the child moved into the house. Um, so we were saying when we kind of said, oh, "I wonder why he was living with his grandparents," yeah. and she said, "Well, because he had a poltergeist attached to him." <laughs> you know, would you like to go and live with Nan? No, not really. Yeah, Nan's, uh, you know, a bit deaf. <laughs> It'll be okay. <laughs> but she said, you know, listening to this is, it's, it's, it, it, her dad was unable to explain what happened. He actually. To the point where when the family moved out, he arranged to spend the night there alone on his own. Nothing happened whatsoever. No, um, and as I said, you can say, well, obviously, this seems like he, the, the kid was making it up. But, I mean, she said that the father was, her father was absolutely convinced something was happening because some of these noises were coming from the ceiling. And she said, you know, a small kid couldn't, just couldn't have done it. And grandma was sitting with him, you know, and was absolutely terrified. Mm. So that's another one which is literally around the corner from this one. Yeah. So it's all kind of, you know, that area. Um, yeah. And did, 
I mean, do we know how the numbers stack up? I mean, are, are there more reports of poltergeist activity now than there was in the 50s? Or is it about the same or is it declining? It's not huge, is no, it? No, it's not huge. And to be fair, I think for the 50s, actually, poltergeist activity itself wasn't that well documented. I Before, I, I thought I'd do a bit of research because I mentioned earlier that it was obviously before the internet, so it wouldn't, they wouldn't, it wouldn't be as well known, and it's easy to like kind of access that information. Obviously, you'd have library books and things. Um, and I was, I was looking for some other like famous poltergeist cases that they, the family might have known about, and there weren't, there haven't been that many like that were really famous. In 1932, this is my favourite one. It's Jeff the Talking Mongoose on the Isle of Man, who I had heard about before, and he's just started following me on Instagram. He has an Instagram account. And he messaged, like, he commented on one of my pictures. It was really exciting. I did ask him if he had any Norfolk relatives that we could interview, but he said he didn't think he did. That's a shame. But it was a poltergeist that basically possessed a mongoose. Um, a teenage mongoose? I didn't say. But again, <laughs> this... In a council house. Um, then there was obviously um, Borley Rectory in 1937, which the fam- that was a really well-known one. So the family may have known about that one. Um... There was um, Thornton Heath in Croydon, or near Croydon, in 1938, which was pretty standard poltergeist mm-hmm. activity. And then at the beginning of 1958, which is obviously the same year as this, there was um, Seaford in the USA. So these ones are all quite famous ones. Long I don't know time, lots about them. Long but time a long time before Amityville. And... and there's not very much contemporary to that time, So you know, in the 1950s. So unless there was someone who was particularly interested in, like, paranormal history they might not have necessarily really come across it does the church have a view on this i know that there are exorcism teams in norfolk still attached to the roman catholic churches i have tried many times to to get them to talk to us and for reasons that are fairly obvious they don't want to um, and I do know people who have had exorcisms for well, far case, less, actually, than this. Yeah, in this case, they they had um, the local vicar yeah. or priest came in, uh, Reverend Reverend Long was the local um, guy at the time, and yeah, he came in to bless the house. So obviously, they must have some kind of. But they had, um, you know, all your usual accoutrements to stop poltergeists. They had crucifixes, uh, which were ignored, didn't they? I don't think a determined poltergeist is going to stop for much more than the Pope, really. I think you have to call in the big guns, don't you? Um, I don't think he does house calls, though, does he? Does he not? (laughs) That's a shame. So he could just he could just have a, like an office like an estate agent in silver in the silver triangle, couldn't he? We don't have this in the golden triangle. Poltergeists can't afford to live in our bit of town. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I think the thing that really interests me is this kind of concentration of those type of reports in that tiny area. It just seems mm. really odd I think to it, me. I think we should like plot a map. And see if there's any like kind would of. Would you pattern. spend the night? Uh, uh, I wouldn't. Not a, one with a poltergeist. No, I'd be too scared. Would you even go in the house? I don't know if I would. No, I don't think I would. I think I've been so affected by Ghost Watch when I was a. And pipes. And pipe. Well, pipes. Ghost. I don't know pipes. if any of you remember Ghost Watch. And Michael Parkinson. Yeah, it, I think I, it was on my. I think my twelfth birthday. I was allowed to stay up and watch it. Your birthday is on. Halloween. My birthday is on Halloween. Of course. Of course. And. I think I genu- I genuinely think I've got PTSD from it. 
because I, it just the word pipes makes me feel like somebody mentioned it yesterday and I got like goosebumps and it makes me feel all like it was absolutely terrifying. I almost took a picture of a word that just said pipes yeah, the other day, but then I realised what it would me. do. Yeah, that's all I need to say. To stop her in her tracks. And it's I think so. I think the I think that that's put the fear of poltergeists in me. And so yeah, I don't think I could even go in a house because it's just that. Oh, oh, I can't. Would you, Richard? Would you go in a? I'd go in a haunted house. I don't know. Possibly. Possibly. You're far more intrepid than we are, really, aren't we? <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I don't. You've come to sharing your. Yeah, even like going on Silver Street. <laughs> I, I definitely wouldn't. A hundred percent. Well, I say that actually. Why am I lying? I once went to a house in bizarrely thought married. I've forgotten this. Um, quite a long time ago, um, when I was a reporter, a mere reporter, I was called out to go on a job in Thorpe Marriott, um, just outside Norwich. And the family, and it was a new build. It was the most, in, in, you know, inconspicuous, two up, two down, the same as everything on the street. And she was absolutely convinced that there was poltergeist activity in the bedroom. So you knew it was poltergeist before you went in? I knew that before we went in. And she... And, and, and obviously it was a bit braver then, um, because I remember her saying, you need to be in there on your own. And so they shut me in. Uh, Paul here at the photographer was downstairs, and they shut me into the bedroom. And um, they, they thought it was in a cupboard. So I stood near the cupboard. And obviously I did feel really cold, but that was because I was terrified. And, um, but she, yeah, she was convinced. Nothing else happened. But I was quite a long way off being a teenager, mm. to be fair, at that point. But yeah, so that was in thought. You know, these can be anywhere. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. It's, it's interesting. To, to sort of bring this particular story, the household street story to a close. The house no, is no longer there, No, is it? it's no longer there. I, I, I looked we on... We were careful. Yeah, we were, when, firstly, whenever we're doing stories, if the house still exists... Well, to be fair, if the house still exists, I wouldn't normally do the story anyway because I don't want to freak anyone no. out who's living there. I have got a really good one, which I can't do because it's still there. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to say this, about this, um, was that um, Tony Cornell and Alan Gould from the Society for Psychic Research visited the, like, the house. And I think that's quite an important point because they specialised in poltergeist activity. That was their thing. They wrote book about it and so they went along to, to investigate and their notes were never made public so I don't know what that means I think the moral of this story is don't have teenagers ever just don't have them just farm them out to their nan <laughs> <laughs> while you can they're yeah nan. they're deaf nan or you know if not just any nan will do anyone's nan and they're getting back when they're about I don't know 18, 19, 20 maybe you know, bring them back then. When they've got a job, right? When they've got a job, or, or yeah, they can come home then when they aren't attached to Satan's uh, dark forces. Thanks for listening to this week's Weird Norfolk episode. You can find us every week in the Eastern Daily Press on page 13 of the Weekend Supplement. You can also find an archive of all of our stories at edp24.co.uk and if you're feeling social, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Weird Norfolk.
The Weird Norfolk Podcast is a Richard Fair production for the Eastern Daily Press. We'd love to hear your comments, your thoughts and your weird stories. Just contact us at weirdnorfolk at archant.co.uk.